Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And our guest today creates a compelling testament to the power of community and why it's so essential in our lives now more than ever. Talk about connection. He draws from historical events, spiritual thought leaders, and the natural world to show how in every generation, our tendency is to join together to accomplish our greatest achievements. Listen to these words. Ours is a complicated era And so we need every resource and example of heart and resilience we can find. It is both comforting and challenging to realize that no one person can wrestle from the earth the song of how we can survive together, and no one voice can sing that chorus. We need each other more than ever. I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your heart and mind and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Mark Nepo moved and inspired readers and seekers all over the world with his number one New York Times bestselling book, The Book of Awakening. Beloved as a poet, teacher, and storyteller, Mark has been called one of the finest spiritual guides of our time a consummate storyteller, and an eloquent spiritual teacher. He is the author of 20 books, including More Together Than Alone. It's the book I have in my hands right now, and I'm so excited to introduce it to you. In 1987, Mark was diagnosed with a rare form of lymphoma. The heart of that journey and its aftermath has greatly informed his work. In 2014, Mark toured with Oprah Winfrey on her sold-out The Life You Want tour and has appeared several times on her Super Soul Sunday program. He continues to offer readings, lectures, and retreats, and it's such an honor to have him back on our show. Welcome, Mark. Well, thank you. It's, It's great to be back with you. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation, not only because I've always appreciated your writings, I've always appreciated the poetic nature of your writing. It's so yummy. But (laughs) Mark, this one goes right to my heart, talking about community, and I'm just really happy to bring this to our listeners because there are many of us out there who are working toward this, the message in this book of putting it into action in our world. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You know, it's a uh, it's a book that took 13 years or so to retrieve and birth. And um, and I had no idea the timing that it's done uh, at this point in our our society and our age was timing well beyond me. I was just working away. um, And, you know, my my real kind of spark or the impetus uh, for this was 13, 14 years ago, was I just was really interested in the lineage of care and, and interdependence. 
interdependence, not independence. And, um, and so I just started looking for stories of moments when we worked well together mm. across history, across culture. And I wasn't looking, this doesn't propose any kind of sociological theory. Um, you know, I really was just looking to find those stories and tell them and record our, their lessons because we are part of a lineage which is think things are always coming together at the same time that they're falling apart but that lineage of coming together is much quieter and so it needs to be to be pointed to and lifted up mm. You do a beautiful job in this book of that, and there are several different stories in here that are so poignant for that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pause before we really get into the juice of this, because this book fits so well with the, the meme of our show, and I want to just see where you're at today, a couple of years after you've been here the first time, to answer this traditional first question we have on the sure. show, which is... Mark, what does all things connected mean to you? Well, all things connected is really at the heart of, uh, of life. And it's certainly at the heart of, I think, all of our journeys. Um, you know, I, I know for me that I had an intuitive uh, connection to that before I had any language to it. Ever since I was, you know, a, a boy, I always sensed uh, the connection between all things. And then when in my 30s, when I did go through almost dying from cancer, I was thrust into the fabric of that that web of connection, which is really where resilience and health reside. And so I think that our journey through growing and through love, great love and great suffering, leads us to not only discover, but to feel and inhabit uh, how all things are connected. I think that's what, what all the wisdom traditions point to. Mm. You literally wrote this sentence in your book, all things are connected. And it's on page 14. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is so cool. So, of course, I highlighted it. But I want to read what, it's the last paragraph of this brief chapter, and I, I just want to, give you kudos for how you wrote this book. I'm going to explain it to our listeners in a second, but you wrote, all things are connected. The art of community is discovering how. And then, which is gorgeous in itself, like, I'd love to explore that. The art of community is discovering how. The art of community, how beautiful. And then, with every brief chapter, you have a little box with like the pearl of wisdom that comes out of the stories and so in this little box you wrote community becomes the art and science of understanding and engaging the life force that moves through everything mm. i love that oh, do you want to expand on that more isn't that yummy yeah so you know i think that if we look at when we can look at there's so many ways to find metaphors for this but let's look for now and begin with, with the body, biologically. You know, uh, in any one body, no one organ owns the blood. If it tried to or does because we consider that disease and eventually the body would die. So the fact is that the blood 
circulates through all the organs and all the organs contribute to keeping it whole. And I think this is the key that great love and great suffering always brings us to is that we don't, we don't own really anything. We accumulate a lot of stuff, but we don't really own anything. And that our job, like the organs in the body, is to discover how what we have moves through us to others and back again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is one of the things that, that is often misunderstood. You know, in the West, we often, in the modern global culture, we often think of giving and taking or giving and receiving as transactional. You, you have a need, I give you something uh, because I love you. It could be the greatest of reasons. And you, out of gratitude, give something back. And we kind of think it's A to B and then B to A. And, but when we think again of how that, body, that metaphor of the blood moving through the organs, no one owns the gift. The job of every soul is to keep the gift flowing. Because that opens us to the fact that you may give me something, and it may not be for me. I may be asked to carry it for who it's really supposed to go to. And if I only stop with A to B, I never allow the gift to keep flowing, and the giving to keep flowing, and the love to keep flowing. Another you know, natural way of looking at this is, um, is water. You know, we live next door to each other, and we, we're blessed to live by a river or a stream. Well, wherever our property line is, no one owns the river. Mm. No one owns the stream. And, you know, my job is to care for it when it enters my property so that it moves from my property to the next person's property. And all we have to do is substitute for that river care, love, truth, wisdom, connection, relationship, and that's so that we are carriers of truth and wisdom and care. We don't own it. And as soon as we try to own it, we start to separate and fall apart. Mm. So you had said we're always at a place of falling apart and coming together and and. This this book is brilliant with all the different stories of historically, um, through different traditions, different cultures, different times. It's just, um, it's really yummy. I, th- I think it, it'd be a great meditation book for somebody to just read a two or three page um, little meditation each day. It is so powerful mm, like that. It, it, that you. might be my new that might be my new practice. <laughs> Starting today, I think that that might be a practice that that would be meaningful to me to really get into the depth of of what you're saying with with such grace and beauty. But as things are falling apart and coming together, you mentioned that here it took 13 years to write this book, but now is the time for the readership. Let's talk about that. There's a lot that's breaking down in our world, but Throughout time, we've always come together. And I think that's the message of this book is whenever we're in crisis as a community, 
we come together. I live in a small town, Mark, of just under 3,000. And when someone gets sick, we all rally together. Mm, and, that's you know, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's we we harvest the field that needs to be done. We raise the funds for, for health. You know, everybody comes together when there's a need or a tragedy. So let's talk about your lessons of this book and, and really the power of right now talking about community. Well, let's talk. Let's, so let's, let's uh, start by talking about, um, about the age we're, we're in right now and, and not just here. It's highlighted. It's acute in America, but, but it's also globally. And, and so, you know, we seem to be in a time of great fear and difference and separation and um, and so as we look at that, you know, as I look at that personally as a citizen of this this time, it's very alarming. I don't have any answers like anyone else, even though I've done all this research and written all this stuff. But I'm here like everyone else to try to figure it out. And as I look at it, as you know, as a particular person in this time, you know, I was raised Jewish. I'm a student of all paths, but my cultural heritage is Jewish. I had, you know, in my grandparents' generation, members of our family die in the Holocaust. So when did I ever imagine that we would see Nazis walking in the streets of America? Hmm. And what am I, how am I supposed to hold that? What am I supposed to do with that? So, you know, that brings up all kinds of feelings and uncertainties. And, and then at the same time, as I try to be with that, because I do live here like you, we're here, this is now... I'm all, I also tried to reflect throughout history. And as we go back through history, and as I try to look at this in a communal and in a spiritual and in a large perspective, well, you know, it turns out that just like waves in the ocean, they crest and then they go down to the belly of the wave and then they crest, that throughout history, there have always been periods where we've come together and periods when we've pushed each other away. And right now, it's not clear yet which it is. It's certainly there's a lot of noise uh, because things falling apart make a lot of noise and things uh, fear and the violence that comes from fear make a lot of noise. But it's unclear yet just quite where we're going. So it, it leads me, you know, there's a chapter in there which I'd like to, to kind of talk about, the two tribes. Mm. So I tried to imagine, so... How did, where did this start? And it all kind of goes back, I think, to a perpetual uh, our perpetual challenge individually and together about whether we choose love or fear every day, every age, every community. And so if we go back and imagine the, the very first time a human being came upon another human being, that before this they thought they were alone. So imagine one person in cave times coming upon the mouth of a cave and they see someone else in there and they go, they both kind of are jarred. They go, oh my God, who are you? And the one in the cave looks at the one outside the cave and out of fear says, you're different, go away. And I think that was the beginning of the go away tribe. And depending on the level of fear, you know, then we had periods in time when fear was great enough that those in the go away tribe would say, well, you know, I can't trust you'll go away. So I'm going to put you where I can watch you. I'm going to put you in a camp or a refugee center or a detention center or a ghetto. 
And in the worst of our of our the the worst of our angels, not the better angels, the worst of our of our fear ridden uh, humanity, we've had periods of genocide where those so controlled and dominated by fear have said, you know what, I can't even trust you'll be where I put you, so I'm going to have to make you go away. But at the mouth of the cave, the other person who saw someone different for the first time said, oh, you're different, come teach me. And I think that was the beginning of the come teach me tribe, to say, thank God you're not me. Tell me what I don't know, and together we are more together than alone. And throughout history, you, know, you can look at Plato, who was certainly of the Come Teach Me tribe. Plato said, we are born whole, W-H-O-L-E, but we need each other to be complete. And the greatest periods of this have led to periods like in, in the Iberian Peninsula through uh, like 700 to 1100 um, in uh Cordoba, Spain, where, which was the capital of that whole empire, the greatest civilizations of enlightenment where Jews and, and Muslims and Christians not only tolerated each other, but they just were, worked wonders together and advanced civilization. And the, the catch of all of this, and this is where we get back to our day today, is we're, we're always members of both tribes. Mm. There, there is no they. We are as maddening as everything is. There is no they. We are they. And if I, you know, I can talk to you about this today and tomorrow I could wake up for some reason afraid and I'll need you to remind me that we're of the come teach me tribe and not the go away tribe. And so, you know, lastly, in this kind of part of what we're talking about, you know, if we remember that at the same same time that there was such an enlightened civilization in Spain and in the the Arab world, um, at that same time in Europe it was considered the Dark Ages, and in Europe for two hundred years only ten percent of the population was literate. So ten percent of the population kept literacy alive for over two hundred years, and so if if we are in fact struggling. Uh, whether we're teetering, whether we're going to be in a, an enlightened or a dark age, it's incumbent on us to keep the literacy of the heart alive. And everything we're doing, conversations like we're having today, matter more than ever. Mm. Literacy of the heart. And yes, keep the literacy of the heart alive. Only 10% of those, it, it, that's fascinating kept it alive for over 200 years. So you write in this book and brilliantly the the weaving of these stories over history is just genius. But you write in this stories that you know we have vacillated, we've gone back and forth and and so saying that we're all of the come teach me tribe and we're all a member of the go away tribe. And sometimes it, Sometimes this community, this coming together lasts very, very impermanently, very temporary, transient. And sometimes it will last for, like you said, 200 years of keeping literacy alive. Are we headed toward a culture that can move, step into that enlightenment and really expand our teach me tribe? 
Well, I certainly, I certainly believe so. Otherwise, I wouldn't have written the book. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> uh, I, you know, uh, but I, I certainly believe that because I do believe, you know, I believe that human beings are innately uh, caring and good. And this has been a, this has also been a conversation that has never been solved, but is at the heart of, you know, uh, is at the heart of this either fear-based or love-based approach to life and it's never been solved yeah. and there's people who will you know for, for centuries of philosophers on the one side who have said you know human beings are are worse than animals and and in order to protect ourselves against the worst of what humanity can do we need laws and we need strict confining uh, features of our society to make sure that <clears throat> human beings don't uh, spill over in the, in their meanness, and and there's the other side, which is you know every, everyone from you know Blake to uh, Plato to all the different you know and and you know Gandhi, Jesus, Buddha, <laughs> Moses, Allah, you know you name it, who have said no 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 you know human beings are innately good. It is the friction. Buddhists speak about the friction of the wheel of life that challenges us and knocks us down and which ultimately if we can help each other up will release all that goodness and so in the in the chinese tradition mencius m e n c i u s was a philosopher of about 200 years after confucius in the confucian tradition he had this beautiful metaphor for the goodness of human beings he said look at water he said water allowed its true nature will always flow downhill and join other water. Now, water can be manipulated to go sideways or uphill or behind a dam or funneled, but allowed its true nature, it'll always flow downhill and join other water. And he said, just like human beings, allowed our true nature, we will always flow to each other and join we can be manipulated or we can manipulate ourselves to go against our true nature. And that's where the, the violence and the hurt start happening. And I, and I would say, in my sense at least, that, that you know, we all inadvertently hurt each other. That's part of being human. But it's our goodness that says, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I, let, me, let me help you up. I didn't know I did that. I didn't mean to do that. But evil to me is when our fear and our lack of worth, which means our lack of connection, we said all things are connected, when we are not connected and we spin like some random you know, pinball in a pinball machine, when we think we and we can't find any connection, then we lash out. But when we do that and knowingly hurt others, that to me is evil. Hmm. And thank you for bringing it down into this place of separation again, because um, we talk a lot about consciousness on our program here and, and understanding that we really aren't ever disconnected it's this it's just a mindset it's a belief and you know science and spirituality showing us something new so thanks again for bringing up that choice of fear or love because when we go to our true nature we're always in a place of choosing 
Love. Mark, I have so much more I want to ask you. We need to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk so much more about the role of stories. And then Mark has some brilliant little, like I call them, pearls of wisdom, these chapter lessons, the summaries of these yumminess. I want to share a few of those with you. So um, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. We'll return in just a moment. Listening to Empower Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at EmpowerRadio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at EmpowerRadio.com. Now we can make it better now. Come on, can we do it? Yeah, you know that we can. We roll it up. Cause we know how to jump. We roll it out. Roll it Cause out. we know how to skate. We'll cut it down. We'll cut it down. Cause we know what to eat. We'll swap it out. We eat healthy stuff. Can we do it? Yeah, you know that we can. Can we do it? Today's a good day to grab your kids and hang out with them for an hour. Dance, walk, play a sport, or cook a healthy meal. Because just moving a little and eating better every day can help make you and your child healthier. Can we do it? Yeah, you know that we can. We'll ball it up. Because we know how to hoop. We'll mess around. Because we know how to play. We'll drop it down. Drop it down. we know how to dance. We'll veg it up. Veg it up. Can we do it? Search We Can online to find doable tips and activities that you can use every day to keep you and your kids healthy. Remember, that's We Can. A message from the Ad Council, HHS, and NIH's We Can program. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. So... I'm a dog, and I just got adapted by this new human guy, and I'm starting to wonder how he got along without me. I mean, okay, something as simple as walking around the block. He's got this leash thing, and he puts me on one end and him on the other, and I'm just taking him around. I, I think he's afraid of getting lost. Without that leash and me guiding him along, I don't think he'd find his way back home. But it's kind of cute. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. <laughs> Empower your life. Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. 
Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm here today with the brilliant Mark Nepo. If you want to find out more about Mark's work and events that are coming up, go to marknepo.com. Again, that's marknepo.com. Mark, right before the break... We were talking about this illusion of separation, and there's a quote here. I really want to bring this now into this discovering the power and spirit of community, which is the topic of your book. And and we talked about science and spirituality is showing us that we are really, literally connected. There is no disconnect. But here's a quote. I love this quote. We are connected to everyone who ever lived. And sometimes we are briefly aware that we are living parts of the most elemental community of all, the community of life force that moves through everything. I think obviously this isn't a good introduction to community when we're talking about ancestors and life force, (laughs) but it's foundational to our consciousness of really understanding why community is important. Can you just expand a little bit on that quote? I love that. Sure. So, so let me, uh, let's talk about this and referring a couple of things. So there's a chapter in, in the book called the unfinished painting and, um, and which really explores, because I was led to it, was really based, there's a, a Werner Herzog movie about uh, the, the Cave of Unforgotten Dreams in which he got access to look at the Lascaux Caves in southern France. Um, and, you know, cave paintings from 30,000, 40,000 years ago. And, and what was interesting and what I stumbled on through this is that here, here, even back then, you know, something was moved, moved someone who saw the light on a horse's head or a bison's neck to try to preserve that connection between them and the light and the living animals. And then what they found was that years later, well, as they did carbon dated in, uh, with these things, um, that in fact, there had been layered over these paintings, thousands of years later, somebody else painted something else, and somebody else painted something else. And then there was another, and then so I started to research some of this, and then I found, and this was the key metaphor here, is there was another anthropologist uh, who went to Australia to look at caves and was guided there by an Aboriginal uh, chief who was showing him this beautiful ancient cave painting, also thousands of years old. And as they were looking at it, the chief took out um, some tools and started touching up the painting on the wall. And the anthropologist was horrified. And, and the Aborigine chief looked at him and said, well, don't you understand that pa- the painting is never finished? And it's our it's our holy job to continue it from generation to generation. It is our duty to touch it up, mm. not not to put it in a museum. Whoa, that changes mm. everything. That changes everything. And so, you know, so it's 
And, and so I want to go to a personal example that then takes this to where we talk about how we're connected to everyone who ever lived. And that has to do with my father, who's now gone about four or five years, lived to be 93. And um, I was with him toward the end of his life. And um, and as happens with with many uh, adult children with, with dying parents, there I was in a hospital room alone with him, having beautiful, tender time. And and I was feeding him applesauce and my heart was breaking and it was beautiful and sad and bittersweet and everything. And, and I just gave my, like everything, my whole life in that moment was feeding, putting, we were doing our own little dance where I was everything that I ever learned or did was putting that spoon in his mouth without interrupting his breathing or hitting his teeth. And he would just gently kind of reach for the applesauce. And as we did this, I, of course, was tearing up and started to cry. And and the most amazing thing, Julie, was that I started to feel that I was in a moment of wonder. How is that possible? In a moment of wonder. And then the more that I devoted and this is the key by living my life and what i was given and giving myself a completely all of a sudden i discovered that i was in the moment of everyone every son or daughter who ever fed a dying parent i was in a moment where we were all doing that across history together and i was stronger than myself and deeper than myself. And I, so when we can live our lives authentically and deeply at the bottom of my personality, I trip into all personality mm. at the bottom of my love. I trip into all love. And I think that th through not avoiding through being human, through being all living, all that we can live, all of it, not perfectly, but thoroughly, we trip into and what I am starting to understand. This is what I would call resilience, that resilience is when the thoroughness of my life allows me to touch into the living of all life. And then I am buoyed by my own heart and by my heart opening to the river of hearts throughout all of time. It's mm. a beautiful story. And another beautiful example of this piece. Thank you so much, Mark. And then when I think about you breaking your heart in that moment, just like allowing yourself to be fully human, fully experiencing this and connected with all of that. I can feel it as you say it. Then there's this sense that you're connected with everyone living as well. Absolutely. Let's talk about the the spirit of community and, and really the, the power of community, especially right now on our planet of what does this really, how this elevates and amplifies the heart space that we're talking about? Well, so... So a couple of things, that, I mean, there's a lot of things that I, that I would love, but let's, let, we have to speak them one at a time, don't we? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I, th I think, you know, the first thing is that this is, all of the divisions that, that are so heightened politically, I really feel it's not about politics. 
It's below politics. It's not left or right. It's about decency. It's, it is about whether we are connected or the illusion that we're separate. Whether that we think, you know, that I have to, uh, I have to choose whether to let you in or not, or whether I accept when I'm humbled and knocked to my knees, uh, that we are more together than alone. You know, one of the things, so let's invoke uh, the Native American tradition of community, elder circles. Elder circles have forever have uh, met in circle and still do today, not just for equity, because there's no head to a circle, but because every that way in circle, everyone has a direct view of the center. Mm. And the, the assumption under that, which I love, is that because we need everyone's view to grasp the center, the whole, the truth, the love, the reality. So we need, you know, we, you and I could be sitting on opposite sides of the circle and look at the same center and even have the same value of the center. But we are not really seeing the same thing. We need the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And what that Native American tradition tells us is that we need everybody's view. So, you know, as I get older, and especially in my life as a teacher, I'm not interested in debate or argument or persuasion. I'm, you know, it, to me, it's a, it's a huge distraction because I, we gather meaning. We don't choose it. I need your view and my view and whoever's listening's view because because together we need everyone's view, which is another way that we're more together than alone. I don't need to play seesaw with meaning in order to have my clarity, uh, to feel good about my sense of clarity, to put yours down. If that leads us nowhere. So this, this leads us to one of the things that keeps us in, in separation. And, and for this, I, I refer to this in the book, but this is, this is the wisdom of Robert Keegan, who is a uh, teacher at Harvard, who is a developmental psychologist. And in his work, which is so helpful, he defines centrism, like egocentrism or ethnocentrism or nationalism, any kind of centrism where we are self-centered. He defines centrism as mistaking what is familiar as true. Mm. That's profound. And that keeps us in a box. Because if all I wake up every day in my little yard and only what I see is true, then as soon as I encounter something new, then I hold it as false. Hmm. And now what? Now that's kind of like the membership test to belong to the go away tribe. Yeah. So Fascinating. it's very important. And I think this is a lot of what's happening as we, as fear gets kind of governs us. What do we do? We retreat into what is familiar is true. And yeah. that, that keeps us from learning, from growing, from saying, Oh my God, thank God you're new. And I don't know you. And see, this keeps us from what I would call the maturing of compassion so for a second, let's talk about, okay, 
it seems to me uh, through through my time on earth and my experience that there are two forms of compassion there is our our continuing it never ends apprenticeship into compassion that is i learn because you and i have something in common my heart opens to you i've had a broken heart we get to know each other we're friends and then you experience a broken heart oh i feel for you i'm there that never stops that's a good thing but that prepares us for the maturing of compassion where i need to open my heart when we don't have anything in common when i can't relate uh, or have had no experience like you i need that prepares us to open our heart and my first real experience of this was year, years ago um, after the vietnam war which i was blessed not to have to go and i met a vet a very troubled vet a very damaged vet i met him in a bar i didn't know him but he was loud and he was agitated and everybody steered clear of him but i wound up sitting and listening to him because there was something about his eyes and he was a medic and you know and i was listening to his pain and and at one point i said heartfully i said you know i can't imagine where you've been and he said no you can't and i said no i can't but i'm here you know and and that was my first entry into relating wholeheartedly to someone who had an experience that i couldn't relate to or find a common denominator so you can see that if all you regard as true is what's familiar you're never going to get to a maturing of compassion and every one of us struggle with this every day so so this leads me to two things that uh, yeah, that uh, you, your question triggered that I want to make sure we share here. So one is a parable and one is a metaphor. Well, this parable which is also uh, very important for today and for every day for for all of us is a parable about two monks who have studied many years to keep an appointment they're going to climb a mountain and meet Buddha at the top of the mountain. very very holy uh holy mission for these two monks so the day comes they've studied long and hard and they start up the mountain and halfway up the mountain one of them breaks his leg now the other one tries to tend to him they spend the night and in the morning he's getting ready to continue well it's clear that the one who broke his leg isn't doing well in fact he has a fever and it's clear he can't be left there and that's where the parable ends and the question is what do you do what would you do and the parable opens up that any time we have more people who would keep their appointment at the top of the mountain than care for their broken other we have an age of cruelty mm. any time that we have more people who will realize that taking care of their broken other is the summit we have an age of compassion mm. we are asked to do to make these choices every day and whether we choose to see what is familiar is true or whether we stop to care for our broken other has a lot to do with whether our heart opens or not
and to whether we can hear each other and whether we can be there for each other and whether we can actually be more together than alone. And it doesn't matter what's at the top of the mountain. You can put, you can put, you know, the story had Buddha, but you could put, you name it. You could put happiness, financial success, security, a home. I want to have, you know, children and grandchildren, whatever, you name it. Anytime that we put that ahead of, of what we find along the way, we are leaning toward cruelty. And so one of the things that I have found throughout this, doing all this research, that's, that's uh, two things that are in every story just about, in all cultures, is the fact that work as we do for what we want, our greatness is revealed by working with what we're given. That's the one thing. And the other is that while fear, when, when we're faced with difficult things, fear makes us think that self-interest will protect us. But love and suffering affirm that we're more together than alone. That we're more together than alone. Mm. And so... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I was on a roll there. But, yeah. oh, no, it's beautiful. I, I like I just could listen to you all day. But what what's stirring in me, I just want to kind of deepen into this place because um, you wrote something that, in the book that really like it startled me into stopping and reading it again because I caught the phrase the social self awakens. And it's like I don't think we think of ourselves with this, like the duty of the broken other. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when we're in that place of separation, your, your quote's beautiful, but without the capacity to join, this is what you wrote, without the capacity to join, the web of life falls apart. Without our capacity to bond, we are just a collection of mismatching parts. When able to join with other life, the social self awakens and we enliven the miracle of community. The social self is the connective tissue that lets us find what we need in each other in order to grow. And the reason I pause with that, Mark, is because the story, that parable that you just shared with us is that sometimes we put enlightenment as this number one goal, right? We're all like the spiritual self mm-hmm. awakens, the soul awakens. Oh, we're we're here to do this journey. But boy, the power in the social self awakening is limitless. It is limitless. And it and and it all hinges on this this humble belief that, you know, we, we need each other to be whole. I mean, it's a paradox that I am, and, and this, you know, you, and there's another chapter in the book, you know, that talks about the two main different branches of Buddhism, Hinayana and Mahayana. And, and this kind of captures it because in Hinayana Buddhism, the main uh, belief is that, look, you know, I feel for you, but it's a solo job, you know, like we all have to go through this incarnation 
can get through suffering and somehow find peace and equanimity and nirvana. And, you know, as much as I'd like to help you at the real heart of it, Hinayana says, you know, it's a, I can't do it for you. And because yana means raft, hina means little. So Hinayana Buddhism means little raft. But Mahayana Buddhism, maha means big raft, Mahayana. And that says, you know what? Um, we can help each other. In fact, yes, we have to do our own work, but we can help each other. We are more together than alone. And that this sense of joining, we find through the, the connective tissue, through how we join, we find what we need in each other. You know, I have a, uh, and so, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm of the big raft tribe. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, I have a small poem in, uh, of mine that goes like this. The mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly Exactly what we need hidden in their trouble. Mm, repeat that. That's really nice. Let's muse into that one more time. The mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need hidden in their trouble. Mm. Wow, that's an invitation. Very powerful. You you do speak of intimacy as being this catalyst, and um, just that poem is like even the stranger. Intimacy can be even with a stranger of opening ourselves to that experience. Well, and that there really are no, you know, we are no strangers. Yeah. It's just friends we haven't met yet. And this is, you know, this is, to, I mean, if we want to help uh, that edge between self and the socially awakened self and community, I think it really comes down to, in our very daily lives, keeping our heart open, opening it, especially when it's closed, when pain and fear and worry have closed our heart, our job as a spirit here on earth is to open up again always open up again, to always open one more time than we close, to always get up one more time than we fall down. Mm. Beautiful. And that's not easy. And yet, you're, you know, you're giving us many examples of how, how beautiful it can be, even though it's not easy, like feeding your father applesauce. Oh, that was one of the most beautiful moments of my life. Who would have imagined? Yeah. Who would have imagined? And this is where so often we're afraid to lean in when it's exactly leaning in that will heal us and make us whole and allow us to grow. Mm. Beautiful. So, Mark, we have about five minutes left, and I'm wondering if there's... 
anything that you really want to muse into here before we come to a close, I could continue to to ask you questions and, and read some of the quotes that I've thought were so profound. But this is a really important topic on our planet right now. This is yeah. really important. And the listeners who tune into our show are really invested in doing their part. So if you're speaking to... Um, really people who are willing and ready to take this call and really live a life that's more together than alone. What would you say to them right now? Well, I think that, I think that it's to, to remember and to get strength from this lineage of care that we are all a part of, mm-hmm. that we, we are not alone out here. Um, even though there's so much dissonance and noise and fear and even violence, you know, and I think the thing that the thing that that is so I think uh, uplifting for me is the fact that that every gesture matters. You know, again to go back, we started with a biological metaphor. Let's look at, you know, very in a in a very rough general way, a body is considered healthy if it has more healthy cells than unhealthy cells. Even if it's by one, it's still, you know, you want to have a lot more. You want to have good health. But even if it's by one, when there's one more healthy cell than toxic cell, you have a healthy body. And I think, again, if we look at humanity as a global body and every soul is a cell in that body, Everything that everyone does every day, no matter whether you go up that mountain and walk by someone who's broken or not, whether you of the come away, the go away tribe or the come teach me tribe, whatever it might be, every gesture, every conversation, every goodness can be the one act that can make humanity healthy. And so nothing is too small. Mother Teresa said that courage is doing small things with love. And so our job is, you know, it seems way too big to, to approach it or tackle it on a global level. But on the cellular level, on the soul level, this is how do we do it every day? You know, I walk my dog every day and, you know, I have a wonderful neighborhood. I know some neighbors, but we don't know everybody here. You know how that happens. And so I've just made a commitment in addition to everything else, whether you legislate, you protest, whatever you do, whether you, we have to keep that literacy of the heart alive. And so, you know, every day, any living thing that comes by me while I'm walking my dog, I wave. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if they wave or not uh, back, I am going to reach out. And, you know, and I believe that all of it matters in addition to voting and uh, working and, you know, (laughs) on all levels. Yeah. How beautiful. It all matters. Thank you, Mark. This was a delightful conversation, and I am just so pleased to bring this topic out to our audience. Thank you so much for being with us. No, oh, thank you. It was wonderful to be with you again. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to leave you listeners with a few more words of Mark. 
As one drop of honey can let us know the nature of sweetness, one moment of giving can let us taste the sweetness of living together on earth. As one moment of loss can open our heart to the pain of others, one moment of breakdown can let us community, can let community rush in the way water rushes the break in a wall. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.